welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. It was it was incredible. And it, it wasn't just the translation and the organization of the church that happened there. Um, not far from there is where the Melchizedek priesthood was restored. Oh, yeah. Um, and a bunch of the translate or the uh, Doctrine and Covenants um, was those revelations were given there at the at the Peter Whitmer farm. Wow. It's just the stuff that happened there was just. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting goosebumps it, just looking at I'm, the pictures and hearing your story. Welcome back. It's Jordan and Zach. And today we're joined with Nicole Chaffee Good. Nicole has been married for 22 years. She is the mother of six beautiful children <laughs> and has been the bishop's wife for the last six years. That's right. And you're currently serving in what capacity? Young women's. Young women's. Great place. That's usually how it goes. I think every bishop that I've ever known, their wife has always served in young women's. I have waited 22 years to be in young women's. Oh, yeah. I had about decided that it was never going to happen. <laughs> That's awesome. So you were looking forward to this call. Yeah. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah. I've been in Young Men's for a while. I'm going to put this plug out there and no one asked me to, but they changed the name from Laurels and My Maids and Beehives to it's an age group, right? We have or, the or older whatever. girls and the younger girls. Yeah. We haven't been able to come up with anything more creative yet. They had to split up our Laurels into two groups because there's so many. And I just suggested that they make one the Yanny group. And oh, the, <laughs> like that, what was that? The like viral. Yeah. If you you'd <laughs> hear that sound bite. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that was a good one, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so Nicole, to go on a mission, you have to go through a process. You meet with your local church leaders and some physicians just to make sure that you're worthy to serve and that you're physically capable. And then you get approved and then you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And you finally get this call that's going to change your life. What were your thoughts waiting for your mission call? And when you opened your mission call and what it said? Um, I actually had had no intention of serving a mission. Really? Um, I was kind of an obstinate kid and my mom kind of would push it every once in a while. She'd give me a little nudge in that direction. And I was like, my mom wants me to do that. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was sort of dating my now husband. He had been off of his mission for a little while and I had known for quite a while that he was the one, but he had no clue. <laughs> and I started to get kind of frustrated with the whole situation. And so finally I just said, you know what, I'm going to go on a mission. And he totally called my bluff. He's like, that's great. You should totally go on And a you're mission. like, oh, geez. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, dang it. Now I have to do something about it. So, so you were saying that to see if it would make it peace I, I into was, that. I was hoping he would ask me to stay home, but that, that wasn't going to happen because he's, he's awesome like that. But um, <laughs> so I, I filled out my papers and sent them in. And I think I sent them in in January. And I got my mission call the beginning of February, like the first or the second. And I was gone before February was over. Was oh, wow. Well, that's a quick February. turnaround. It was super fast. Yeah. My mom was a little panicked. <laughs> so no, I just got a real quick. Are you the oldest? I am. Okay. Um, my brother that's two years younger than me. Um, I, I can't even remember the timeline. He was either just had either just left or he had his. No, he would have had to have left already because we got home about the same time. So he left six months before I did. Oh, cool. Gotcha. So he was the first one to go out and then I went. So mom had two, two missionaries, two missionaries at the out. same time. Okay. Yeah. Double, double the blessings. <laughs> yeah. So what were your thoughts when you finally opened up your mission call and it said? Well, like, like most people, I think most U.S. missionaries, I didn't want to go stateside. I wanted to go foreign. Uh -huh. I had an aunt who was my hero who served in Scotland. And I just thought that would be the coolest thing ever. I wanted to go to the British Isles. Um, and, you know, you get talking to friends that I had a lot of, of guy friends who had come home because the way that it was with the 18 and the 21, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they get home just as I'm leaving. And so I talked to them about their mission calls and my friend Mike had served in the New York Rochester mission and was telling me all about it. And I kind of went, you know, if I had to go stateside, that would be really cool. 
And so when I opened it up and that's where it was, I was like, that's super awesome. And then it said Hillcomore Historical Sites. And I went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Why is that? Because now I have to be, because now I'm a visitor center sister. Gotcha. You know, and all okay. of the kind of stigma that goes on <laughs> visitor center sister. Um, Can we dive into that? Sure. I'd love to break down like Tabby. What is the stigma that goes I don't, I don't I kinda, know if it's a formal <laughs> stigma, just the way I thought about it. And my, my friends and family that have gone to like Temple Square are going to uh -huh. kill me if they ever hear this. <laughs> but, you know, you think of them as the, they're, they're the pretty ones that, you know, no, no outward blemishes so that they're very, very yeah. uh, public appropriate, the face of the church, I guess. And it's not a real mission. You know, mm. you're talking mostly to members anyway. And especially with the historical sites, you know, you kind of know that that's the way it's going to be. There's not a lot of non-members that come through the Joseph Smith home. There's a few, but there's not a lot. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's not a real mission is kind of where my head was a little bit. That's where your head was. Okay. Right. Well that, and then I'm not a public speaker. I hate public speakers. Um, my husband is amazing. I am not. I, I'm a backstage theater person. He's an onstage theater person. And getting up in front of people just scared me absolutely to death. And so then there was the thought that I'm going to have to do that every day. And I was in sheer panic mode all the way through the MTC because wow. memorizing, not really my thing. Um, and talking in front of people, definitely not my thing. So you go to the MTC and what, what was your official title as like a mission? What were you, I, at least for me, I was a proselytizing missionary. Did you have a different... Um, well, we, we had different classes. I mean, okay. we had all the same classes cause we would be, yeah, was, some, there, was yeah. there a special oh, training or, yeah, it was kind of a weird time because everything was in transition. We got these scripts to use for the visitor centers that we were supposed to learn and memorize. And then it, it became obvious once we got there pretty quick that those were basically going to be kind of thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. There was, we weren't using any of it. Um, the sites up until that point had been staffed by senior missionaries Mm -hmm. exclusively. And there was some change. I don't know where the change came from. I probably, there's probably sisters on my mission that know, but, um, that they were going to turn it over to sisters and the senior couples would take more of a back administrative. Back seat. Yeah, yeah. Administrative. And so mine was the first group. There was 12 of us, 12 sisters going to the same mission. And we were divided up, I think, into there was three or four groups of us that were in different districts for the purposes of sacrament meeting and Sunday stuff. Mm -hmm. But our classes were all together. There was no elders in there. It was just 12 sisters doing everything. Um, we had, I think we had six Brazilian or elders that were going to Brazil that were me and my companion's district, but we saw them at meal times, and that was about it and on Sundays. So when you go to the, at least when I went to the NTC, there was return missionaries typically from the area that I was going to go serve in or somewhere close to it that could kind of give you a little heads up, but you guys were going brand new. Who, who was teaching you? They were, they were Temple Square sisters, oh, okay. return Temple Square sisters that were teaching us how to do, and not all of them, but there, we had a few of them. Um, we had some that were just normal proselytizing missionaries mm -hmm. that were teaching us the, you know, the. The lessons and stuff the like lessons that. The yeah. lessons and the, I can't even think of the word for it anymore because they don't really use it, but the. The flip book, the flip the chart. flip charts and the the conversion process and uh, feel and recognize the spirit and make the commitments. Brother Brown. Yeah. I, why, <laughs> All why, I was, it's preach my gospel and before it was memorized lessons. But mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm we were sure still the doing the memorized lessons. Okay. Now, real quick, was your MTC experience any different than a proselytizing missionary? Like, were you there? I don't any think so. was you you weren't there longer? No, we were there for I think we were just there for three weeks. Okay, so the standard time. Yeah, and the sisters, the other sisters in our room were heading off to full proselyting missions. Oh, okay, cool. So, so after the MTC, you, you served in a stateside mission, and it was you, we were talking earlier. It was completely new to you. You'd never been to that part of the country, no. and. Um, so it's exciting. It's new. What was, what was unique about the people and their traditions in Western New York? Um, it was so super rural. It was nothing at all. Like you think of when you hear New York. Yeah. You think of like big city. Right. Yeah. No, you had Rochester and Buffalo that were in my mission and those were big cities. But in between those, it was 
farmland. It was when we did go tracting, it was you pick a country road and you hike for a few miles <laughs> and you maybe hit three houses Wow! because they're just so far apart. And there's more, we used to joke that there's more cows than people. And it probably was. Were. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, big cattle processing probably going on. What, what were some of the favorite foods that, that you experienced that were new to you? Um, I learned to love the fluffernutter. The fluffernutter. Fluffer nutter. Hey. Those are, that's my, that, that's, that hits me right in the heart. I love it. In your arteries. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have my mom on my mission. I'd have her send me peanut butter and Jiffy or whatever I can't it's called. Get, I can't get peanut butter fluff here. Or is it, not peanut butter, marshmallow fluff. I can't get marshmallow fluff. Really? I can get puffed marshmallow but it's not the same thing. I oh. get the jars of marshmallow, but it's not marshmallow. Fun. I was going to say my mom has one. Oh, no, no. It's is not. that an East coast thing it though? Is. Okay. It's okay. Totally Cause my grandparents thing. are from the East coast. So, so for anyone that is not familiar, what is a fluffernutter? Peanut butter and marshmallow fluff on between bread. two pieces of bread. I would grill them. Really? That really nice. That's like almost like a s'more. A it s'more. really yeah. is. That's like a big, yeah, yeah that sounds awesome. <laughs> so and the, salt bagels, salt, salt bagels. bagels yeah. I, I still, I will crave a good salt bagel. I've never had that. It's just a salty bagel or it's a bagel with yeah, like rock salt bagel yeah, like hard to it. Big. Yeah. Mm, interesting. What were, so there's some of the good foods. What were, what was like the weirdest thing that you ate <sighs> or this hard for you to eat? <laughs> they used to do, <laughs> we just called it goulash. I don't know if they even had a name for it. <laughs> this is so funny. But it was like elbow macaroni in like red sauce with <laughs> meat and just kind of whatever else you wanted to throw in there. That sounds it good. Was, no, I'm, I'm, I'm cracking up because my grandma, it's an East coast. Like my grandma makes goulash. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the, we called it mommy's mess. It was just like whatever yeah. is left in the can, just toss them in the, in the pot. And I just got a really bad taste in my mouth for it because we would have it. When I was serving in Canandaigua, we had a ward mission leader who had us over for dinner at least a couple times a week and sweet woman, love her to death. But she had shih tzus, mm-hmm. like 19 of them. Oh, jeez! And she had two of them that were like really well-groomed and show dogs, but the rest of them <laughs> were just these mangy things and they were everywhere. They were up on the counters. They were oh. sniffing in the dinner. They were, oh, they were just bad. Yeah. I could see how that would uh, scar you a little bit. That's some yeah. hairy goulash, I yeah. imagine. <laughs> I had, a, I had one woman who tried, who asked what we wanted I missed Mexican food so bad because the farther away you get from the Mexican border, the worse the Mexican yeah. food is. The Taco Bell can't even do yeah. Taco <laughs> Bell right in New York. It's bad. Um, so I, I told her that I was missing some good Mexican food and she tried. She did some chicken enchiladas and she tried really hard and it was, it was okay. It was all right. Bless her heart. She tried so hard. I appreciated it. Tell us about the apple cider cleanse. <laughs> oh, my sweet companion. Esther, she's fabulous. I love her. I still love her. We, we communicate. Um, she was a health food nut and I am not a health food nut. I was a whatever I want. But she was organic and she, you know, tried to do as much, uh, you know, vegetarian stuff as she could. And um, she, she talked to me into going on because I, you know, you start packing on a couple pounds and the, as everybody the clothes does, that you brought out yeah. with you don't fit quite the way they're supposed to. And so she talked me into doing this, this apple cider cleanse and you can get really good apple cider in upstate New York, uh, fresh, fresh pressed. It was great. And so for three days I did nothing but drink apple cider. That was all I could have. Um, Oh, first thing in the morning, you got a glass of prune juice <laughs> and the rest of the day was apple cider. And it was awful. It was such a bad experience. We, we could barely even go anywhere. We had to practically stay in the apartment <laughs> because you didn't you. go anywhere. And we, during that three days, we had a, a mission, not a mission conference, um, or the, the zone, zone leaders, zone conference. Conference. just the zone leaders get together. Yeah. And I was serving at the time as, um, the, they called it the site leader. It was a, a position that our visitor center director made up so that he had somebody that could kind of oversee the, the sites with him. Uh-huh. So I was serving doing that. And so they asked me to go to this, this meeting and zone leadership conference. That's it. Yes. Or council. That's what it is. Council. That's, yeah. that's right. And our mission president's wife was making 
making lunch for everybody and it was awesome. It smelled so good. And I'm sitting there with my poor, pathetic little glass of apple cider, just cursing my poor. <laughs> it was not happy. That's probably the one gross. time in your life you ever looked forward to prune juice. <laughs> I don't know if I looked forward to prune juice. It was all pretty gross. But. So what, what church history sites were in your mission? Um, the or, Hill Camorra. Okay. There was a visitor center at the Hill Camorra um, and the monument at the top. Uh, the Joseph Smith home and the Sacred Grove um, and the Peter Whitmer farm were the three where they had sisters, um, where they had sisters stationed. They were, at the time, they were renovating the Grandin building. They were working on that. Um, it wasn't up and running. And that's the Grandin Press where the book right. was published. Mm-hmm. What, um, I was going to ask, what are, what are the locals like? Like, do they look at members of the church and like, oh, you guys are weird or like a burden to the area? They or? all know. Yeah. They all know and they all remember the stories. And it seemed to me, and some of my, my fellow missionaries might have had a different experience, but it seemed to me that the people that we taught were transplants to the area. Oh, so they came from somewhere else? Right. Yeah. People that were, had been born and raised in that area still didn't want anything to do with the church. Hmm. That was just kind of the general feeling that, yeah, that I had. That's been funny. Cause we've, we've interviewed other people from that certain countries in Europe and it wasn't like the natives of that country. It was like the transplant yeah. from that are really receptive to the yeah. gospel. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, so you're away from home. You've been out for a couple months. What did you ever feel any homesickness or anxiety in the MTC a little bit? Um, not too bad. I was really fortunate, um, in that I got mail just about every day from the time we got in the MTC. I just had some really prolific letter writers and I can count on probably both hands. How many times, how many times, or how many days that I didn't get any mail. And that's just in the MTC or in your entire mission? The, the whole mission. Oh my goodness. Wow. I mean, not, <laughs> not including weekends because that was. Yeah. And so I imagine your current husband, your current husband, <laughs> your, your, <laughs> your husband. husband. The one I have now. Yeah. Have he was now. the one that was, was writing you. He or? did. I got a letter from him every week except for two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Remember those weeks. I do. Wow. Well, the, one of them was the, the week before I came home. He just didn't know, you know, what the timing, the timing was uh-huh. going to be. Um, and the second one was, um, we were there for the Hilcomora pageant and we were really heavy in the, in working that. And, um, he had told, his family had already chartered a bus before I even got my mission call. They were coming that summer. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, to the, to the pageant and uh-huh. doing a big church history tour. When I opened my mission call, he was sitting there and he goes, we're going to be there this summer. I'm like, I'm not sure how I would even handle that. He's yeah. like, I will give my seat to somebody else. I won't come. And I was like, okay, that's better. Well, he came. Oh, really? So you saw your husband. I did. He cheated. And I, so, and it went vice versa. You waited for him or did you wait for him on your well, mission or you met him afterwards? And- no, we met in high school. So did you write him on mm-hmm. his mission? I did. He went to the Dominican Republic and so mail wasn't as yeah, reliable. Just, mm-hmm. So anytime I got a letter, I wrote him back. So you have years and years of... Pen pal relationship. We do. I've got binders <laughs> full of letters. It's this really is cool. this is exciting because I didn't know this happened. So what what was the moment like when he comes to your mission and you saw him? It was it was really really awkward. Well, you were expecting his family <laughs> yeah. already, and then all of a sudden he's there. Yeah, Did he like knew, surprise you or something? You know, sisters talk, and one of the things that sisters talk about is you know if you have a boy at home. So everybody knew that's, which sisters that's had not a boy at just home. Sisters, that's er, is that everybody? Every okay. missionary talks. It just about seemed it. really kind of a big thing with the sisters. Everybody knew who had a boy at home. And so everybody knew who Dan was. And so the, I knew the week that they were coming, I didn't know what day. So I wake up at the, I was serving at the Peter Whitmer farm and we're getting ready to go in. And I get a phone call from the Hilcomora Visitor Center saying, sister, good. Somebody's on their way there. You've got a a tour bus. That's very excited to see you. They're on their way down. (laughs) And I was like, okay, great. Real excited. So we're all we're waiting in the, the visitor center for them to all show up and the bus pulls up and I'm, I'm excited and everybody starts pouring off the bus and his mom comes off and I'm like, yay, I get to see <laughs> because I, I love his family. I've always loved his family and his sister yay, and his brother comes off the, the bus and shake his hand. Super excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hugs and, and handshakes. And then Dan gets off the bus and I'm like, I completely short circuited. 
I didn't know. My mind just went completely blank. I didn't know who I was. How long had you been out? Where you, I was. So you left in February, right? Mm-hmm. So you had been and out. This is this is in six, July. Seven. Okay. Yeah. So you had been out a while. And this is someone that you already knew that you were going to marry. I knew he still, he was, he was working on it. He was, <laughs> Even yeah. at that point. Yeah. He was working oh, on it. Okay. He says that it was, it was that trip that kind of solidified it for him. Um, seeing me, you know, but it was the worst. I don't know how that happened. Cause I gave the worst tour I've ever given. <laughs> That's awesome though. That is so unique. <laughs> it was bad. Um, just uncomfortable. Not bad. I loved it. And it's a great story, but it was at the time it was really uncomfortable. So this might be a question that Jordan is going to ask, but it's just burning inside me because I've, again, I've never been back East to those church historical sites. Was there one in particular that like stood out to you or there was a certain spirit about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Let's hear um, it. Both, both pageants, I served at the Peter Whitmer farm. Um, that was my first assignment was to serve at the Peter Whitmer farm. And I absolutely fell in love with that place. And like I, I'm a crier. This isn't the rest <laughs> of this is going to be really probably We're uncomfortable for everybody tissues. listening because I, <laughs> no worries. And my voice doesn't come out right when I cry. Um, I love the Peter Whitmer farm. I love that place. There's a, there's a big chapel there and one wing. It's like there's the chapel and two wings coming off each side. One wing is, classrooms and bishops, bishopric offices and all of that. And then uh, the other wing is the visitor center there. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a good overview of the restoration. So we talk about Joseph Smith and, and his going from, um, Palmyra down to Harmony and then up to Fayette and, uh, Oliver getting involved and the witnesses and the restoration of the priesthood. Um, and then the church being organized, there. And then they've got the log home off to the side that, that you get to go into. And it's just the power of that place is amazing. It's absolutely my favorite place. And that's where they translated Joseph and Oliver to get away. A lot of the translation was done there. Um, uh, Emma did some there. Uh, one of the Whitmers did some there and Oliver did a bunch there. That's crazy. So I'm a big history guy. And even when I go to like the temple here in Mesa. And I know the history with the pioneers and everything. I don't necessarily have to go in, but just being there, I feel that. And so you're, you're talking about, I'm looking at the picture right here, Peter Whitmer's little block home uh-huh. where some of the translation happened of the book of Mormon. I mean, how surreal was that? It like, was, it was incredible. And it, it wasn't just the translation and the organization of the church that happened there. Um, that's where, uh, not far from there, is where the Melchizedek priesthood was restored. Oh yeah. Um, and a bunch of the translate or the, uh, doctrine and covenants, um, was those revelations were given there at the, at the Peter Whitmer farm. Wow. It's just the stuff that happened there was just, <laughs> I'm getting, awesome. I'm getting goosebumps it, just looking at I'm, the pictures and hearing your story. I'm, I'm reading saints again to prepare for general conference. Yeah. And one thing that was super unique and awesome was reading about Mary Whitmer's experience. And it's like, she's like the, the fourth witness of the book yeah. of Mormon that you don't hear about. Yeah. What, what, is there any other unique stories? I'm, I'm sure in saints, they can't write everything down, but maybe it's a church history story that um, maybe isn't told too often that you're familiar with. Those were the big ones. And they really covered everything really well in saints. I don't think there were any, I don't think there were any surprises or anything that I went, Oh, I know something else, but they don't know. <laughs> no. Um, they covered it all pretty good, but yeah, the, the Mary Whitmer story was awesome. Um, and the, the three witnesses had their experience there again, not far from, not far from the, the farm. Um, and yeah, up until that time, Joseph had been the only one that really knew that any of this happened, knew that the plates were real. You know, people had, had, you know, hefted them and, you know, felt them through cloth, but he was the only one that had ever seen them. And now there were other people who had not only seen the plates and touched them, but seen an angel and heard the voice of God. And just that, that burden, that load that would have been lifted from him. Um, that's, that's always been one of my favorite stories. Yeah. That's awesome. To carry that for years and years and finally be able to, to share it with others. Yeah. Um, what, so you served the Peter Whitman farm and, and other sites. This is kind of a different question, but did it ever, 
did it ever get old serving out of sight? Like you, was there a memorized kind of it lesson? Did. It was, you had to be careful cause it could get really. I feel like, especially now the Mesa temple and salt Lake are, are closed. And so mm-hmm. until when you have something you don't appreciate it and then it's gone, you're like, yeah. man, like that was awesome. And I feel like I would worry if I served there to kind of take it for granted, the sacred place I'm serving at. Yeah. What do you, what do you do to, to keep it fresh and to keep from. We would try, or I would, I would try to, you know, emphasize something a little bit different to not make any two exactly the same, um, to bear my testimony of something just a little bit different or in a little different place just to kind of keep it fresh. Cause yeah, especially during pageant time when it's just, you're, they're just coming through it's one after another. You never get to sit down. How many would you guess me that you would go through a day? Oh, I have no idea. Um, cause there, there would be, there were six, six sisters, um, plus senior couples when they, when they felt like they could take one through taking groups of, you know, 20 to 40 people at a time through and just, it was just a constant flow through there. I have no idea even how many. So when you say pageant, I know there's like, I know there's a pageant that goes on and there's like singing, like what, what is the the extent? Yeah. Yeah. What is the extent of that? I'm so sad that this is the last year they're doing it. This is the last year for the Hillcomore pageant. Oh, really? Yeah. That's one of them that they're discontinuing. They shut down Manti and mm-hmm. I didn't know the shutting down Hill Kimura. Yeah. Hill Kimura, This is the last year. Um, but they, they had a stage that they would build into the side of the Hill Kimura, this huge, huge stage, um, and sound towers and light towers. And they bring in a, a cast of, I don't even remember how many over a hundred hundreds of people, um, to come and put on the story of the book of Mormon. They start with Lehi and his family leaving Jerusalem um, building the boat, coming to America. You have, um, they talk about Abinadi and Alma the Younger. Oh, wow. So it's like a full on yeah, production. The yeah. wars between the, the Nephites and the Lamanites clear down until Moroni. Um, and then you have the, the burying of the plates and then a little thing at the end with, jo- with Joseph Smith getting the, the plates from Moroni. It's just this big, huge pageant. And yeah, it's, I think it's two weeks. And they just fill this big, huge basin at the foot of the Hill Kimura with people every night. Yeah. I'm look, it's, it's like a, a yeah. full on festival. Yeah. It's oh, spectacular. It's huge. Yeah. One of the years I was there, Donnie Osmond came played, oh. and played, um, Samuel Lamanite. That was cool. I was going to, I was going to ask you later on who, who were some other, I mean, you served in, in, in an area of church history, very important area. Where, who were some other notable members of the church that came by? Oh, some of the other sisters got to give some of the fun tours. Um, Michael Ballum. I don't know if you know who that is. I don't. So, um, <laughs> I'm sure he's a great guy. He, he <laughs> was in the old temple temple videos. The old ones. Okay. Um, he's a, I know a who you're talking Broadway about singer. Yep. Yeah. He came through with his family. Um, trying to remember if there was anybody else. Um, president Hinckley came and gave a, and had a, a mission conference with us. And he was the president of the, of the church when he was the prophet. Yeah. That's what was cool. that like? It was, it was amazing um, to be able to see him. I didn't have the chance to be like up close and personal. Like some of the sisters did at the time. Cause I was down at the Peter Whitmer farm, which is about 45 minutes away from the Joseph Smith home. So we, those of us that were serving down there were a little bit removed from all of the, everything that was happening. Um, so until I got up to living there in Palmyra, I didn't get a chance to be like on, on the inside of every, of that uh-huh. stuff, but we got to go to the, the conference and uh, be here, when, be there when he was there. Um, that's, that's cool. He, um, my visitor center director was a man named Chuck Canfield, um, who's since passed away. But he was he was instrumental in um, in getting the last of the property so that the so that all of the restoration that's happened in the past you know, twenty years um, could happen. Um, but he he was he was good friends with a lot of the the Quorum of the Twelve and. And he used to say that he was on first name basis with President Hinckley. Um, President Hinckley called him Chuck and he called him president. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> first name. So I got a real quick question. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe this is, again, me coming from really enjoying history. How, how long did it take you or, or or did you understand right away the importance of the locations? Like, I, I feel like kind of going along with what Jordan said, how you get into like this routine of, 
I don't know, to me, it would just like, how did you, walking, did it take time to understand that? Walking through the sacred grove never got old for me. Oh, I could imagine. Never got old. Um, I loved, I loved church history. Um, oh, I liked church history, I guess. I grew to love church history and the prophet Joseph and Emma and Oliver and Martin and the Whitmers and just everybody that had such a huge hand in, um, creating this church that I love. Um, so every once in a while, you kind of remind yourself, I guess the first, the first, but that, that probably didn't have to happen until the last six months or so. The first year it was like, everything was, yeah, you're just surrounded by all of this history and it's just kind of overwhelming. And I remember writing a letter to my brother who was serving in, on his mission. He was in Seattle and I was like, how do you do this? How do you, how do you teach people and not take them to the sacred grove? Cause that was, I couldn't oh. even imagine trying to teach a first discussion Wow! and then, and be like, Oh, well it's right over here. We can go, we can go there. I can show you the spirit that's there. We can go there. And so I, I never took for granted the fact that I got to do that. And that, that wasn't something that everybody got to do. That was always something that was really special for me was when I could take people to the sacred grove. Wow. That's powerful. That's like a Could cheat you, code. Like, yeah. I was going to say like, you know, they're like on my mission, I was lucky if I, I taught the lesson with a member and you're like, well, let's just walk down the street and go to the sacred grove. You know, right. you know, what's was, interesting is whenever I feel like on my mission, whenever you're, especially a spiritual experience that you're going to share, or when you're telling Joseph Smith's first vision, there's always an interruption, but to be able to go there physically, hopefully there weren't as many interruptions, but. <laughs> maybe an airplane flying over or something, but <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't even remember, remember getting interrupted. I remember, I always remember the feeling and I, I always loved giving that, you know, saying that from memory. And it's one of those things that has stuck with me. I can still say it from memory. Anytime anybody quotes it in conference, I sit there and I mouth it along with yeah, them because yeah. it's just ingrained so many times that you, that you say it. What? And as we're reflecting on the restoration, like President Nelson's asked us to asked us to, we, we talked about is the spring of 1820. What was your favorite season being out there? You got to love the fall yeah. with all the colors. Um, there was, there was something really cool about the spring because you, you think about early spring and they talk about this in the, the Joseph Smith papers podcast about the, the first vision that they've got out now. Um, they talk a, a lot about how it's not green. Yeah. It's definitely not green. Um, I didn't experience the flowering like they talk about. To me, it was still, it was pretty brown. Really? Walked through the gro the grove and it was, it was, it was trees and sticks. It, there was, the leaves were not, not they were non-existent. Um, but there was, I mean, it was just a cool feeling to know that you were kind of seeing what he saw. And seeing it as he saw it. And it's totally different from the pictures that you see. The pictures, it's always like green. Right. And, the, everything's green. You can't it's see. Like a, it's like a jungle. <laughs> I, right. I was listening to a podcast recently and in pictures like Joseph Smith, like his, his shirt's cut low and like might be wearing like a short sleeve shirt and like, no, it's probably pretty cool that day. And yeah, not, not how it's been depicted in the past. I just watched a, a video just this week about, yeah, they were talking about how you can go back, you can go back and to 1920 or 1820 is when they started keeping track of weather patterns. Oh, wow. And so you can actually see that, that there was. It was chilly. It's how, how it was he described cold. it. Yeah. yeah. If it got up to 40, they were like, this is, oh, this, wow. is a, this is a beautiful spring day, <laughs> 40 degrees. So, so that's, so as you were out on your mission, who were some companions that you grew close to? Um, I learned to love all of my companions. I had a couple that were, that were, that I considered difficult. Um, but I, I learned to love them. Um, one of my favorite companions lives here in Mesa, Rinda Up Updike. In fact, she grew up in the stake that my husband and I moved into and have been in for 22 years. Um, she was incredible and so patient with me. <laughs> um, I, I mentioned Esther Richens. Um, she was the, my health food guru, um, who is amazing. As, as you were serving with, with your companions, what were some of the lessons that they taught that you've held on to? Oh, goodness. 
Um, Aaron Watkins taught me to, to laugh and to find joy when things were hard. Um, Allison Christie taught me to work hard, even when it got frustrating and even when it would have been really easy to do something else and even justified to do something else, but working hard is better. Um, Rachel Polly taught me to listen to the spirit and to follow it even when it's hard. Amy Smith taught me that you could be an amazing missionary even when you were feeling rotten. Those are just the ones that I can pull off the top of my head. Um, I learned something from every one of my companions. Uh, And like I said, even the ones that I considered hard, um, I I learned to love and appreciate them. And they're all amazing women now. I love that you, you admit that you consider them to be hard because everyone has, we all have different quirks and personality, you know, things that might set each other off, but no, anyone that's serving as a representative of Jesus Christ is not a bad person or a hard person or whatever, but just, just learning to get along and and love each other. And it sounds like you obviously learned. Well, there was, there was after my group of 12 went out, there was like 10 more that came out the month after. And so there was a lot of switching around and things, and we didn't get to stay in the same, same area for very long when we got out there and get trained very well, because there was another group that came in and needed to get trained. So it was, it was really, really kind of odd transitions um, when we first got out there, but there were ended up, there was like 20 of us living within 20 miles of each other. Um, there was, well, more than that, there was 20 of us, I think there at the Joseph Smith home and the Hill Camorra. And then there was the, the ones of us that were down at the Peter Whitmer farm. And so, yeah, it was great. Cause we had like unlimited closets. <laughs> you never had to wear the same thing twice. If you didn't want to, it was, that was nice. Was that like the law of consecration? Like yeah, kind of. Yeah. Just, I was like, as elders, like, you want to wear my tie? Like, except you would trade them. I would never like just let someone wear my tie. No, towards the end of my mission, I, like they were all sweated through. I was yeah, like, you, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You can have it. I had like the same three ties. Well, I think it's, it's important to know how, I know you said you're an emotional person, but I can, I'm, I'm sitting here across from you and I can, I can see how much those people meant to you and how much you know, you've taken what they've taught you or what you learned, or you might not have understood at the time and you've understood it and applied it throughout your life. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like I said, I can, I can see it very visually on your face that those people, again, those, just the ones that you rattled off the top of your head, those, re- those people really meant a lot to you. They did. They do. Yeah. Whether, whether at the, in the moment you wanted to, you know, rip their hair out or, or now, you know, you you look back and you go, I am so grateful that that happened, you know? Yeah. And it, I think that's just the importance of, 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 of companionship yeah. and the endless lessons that you learn from them. Yeah. Talking about more about that moment, what advice would you give to someone who's currently serving with a companion that they're in that moment, they're struggling, maybe oh. working together? <laughs> that it's going to get better. It's, you know, if, if it's a, if it's an, a situation that you really just feel like you cannot stand another moment longer, you're, it's not forever. Companionships are not meant to go on. Those companionships are not meant to go on forever. It's a couple months, you know, three or four, if it's a really long companionship, um, Chuck Canfield, uh, there was a point I was out doing my full proselyting section, I guess, um, in the winter and it was hard. And I was with a companion that, uh, one of my favorite companions had just been transferred out and another one came in and she was a a great person, but she was not your favorite. Yeah. She was not, she just was not the sister that left. And I, I didn't want to be out in the snow anymore. 
I was tired of it. I wanted to go back to the sites. And I, I called up Elder Canfield and we had become very close. And I was just complaining to him. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like her. I don't want to be with her. I don't want to be here anymore. And he says, Chaffee, he says, you can do this for another month. He says, we're pulling everybody back next month. He says, shoot, you can stick your head up a horse's butt for a month. <laughs> you can do this for a month. Like, okay, fine. So that was one of his favorite things to say was that you could stick your head up a horse's butt for a month that's, or that's two funny. weeks yeah. or whatever You got to love the senior couples and their, their wisdom and brutal honesty. Chuck was awesome. He, um, he brought his dog on his mission with him. Oh, wow. That's awesome. There's um, one rule. I got to have my dog. Oh, you have no idea. He had pheasant released on top of the hill Kimura so he could go pheasant hunting. No way. He did. Um, there was a pond back behind the hill Kimura that he had stocked with bass so he could go fishing. Nice. Where was, where was he from? He was from Utah. Okay. That's awesome. From Utah. That's an, another key to missionary work is like, be yourself, like represent Jesus Christ, but be yourself, like enjoy it. Yeah, he, yeah. he did that. He definitely did that. He was amazing. <laughs> what a, so he was your site director? He was your center director. Who, who was, and you had a mission president as well. Mm -hmm. How did that work out? It was a little bit weird sometime because I got, I got close to both my mission president and my my visitor center director, we were good, we were good friends um, on top of everything else. And so, because the mission president is obviously worried about numbers and making sure that baptisms are getting done and the, the missionaries are working and the visitor center director is, you know, he thinks that the, the sites are the most important thing. Oh, of course. And so we as site sisters kind of got pulled in both directions because we still had district and zone leaders that were checking on our numbers and uh, then we had Elder Camfield who was like, you know, no, you be back at the sites when you're supposed <laughs> to be back at the sites and you don't worry about anything else. And so did you have like, was it like three days on the site one day off proselyting or how'd that work out? We did a little bit of everything. Um, during the slow, the slow time. Um, yeah, we'd spend a couple days at the site and then we could go out into our area a couple days. Um, when in the spring and the fall, when it was a little more, there was a little more to do. Um, it was, we, we would do half days sometimes and rotate cause there were, there were several companionships that were, would rotate through. So we could do half days, a couple days a week. And, um, then during the pageant, it was, we were lucky if we got out to see our investigators cause we were just at the sites all the time. Wow. I'm, I'm sure that's like, again, going back to using the, the sacred grove or whatever, the hill Kimura as a, as a part of your lesson, I'm sure you invited you know, a lot of those investigators to the pageants and everything like that. Oh, and I'm absolutely. sure that helped the work quite a bit. Yeah. 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 Do you have any idea? And I don't like, I love the church. I want this podcast to support the church, but do you have any idea why they're not doing the pageants anymore? Or is it, is it too much of a burden on the local area or? Maybe. Um, I know that for, for some of the, the more historical sites there, uh, because that that stage was it was hard on the hill Kimura. you know you oh the actual the, hill itself like yeah okay the, you you look at the the Mesa pageant when it happens and they put up all those chairs and it kind of yeah. it's mowed, mowed yeah. around yeah. and then they take the chairs down and it has to be remote and it just doesn't look quite right because uh -huh. trampled and yeah so it's it's hard on the the grounds on the the grounds themselves um I don't know maybe there's the a question of where you're putting your, your resources. Yeah. I don't know. The Hill Kimura is primarily members. We can take our, our investigators there and that's great. Um, but the, the payoff is not as huge. The people that come, come that, that are coming from across the country are members. I feel you. You don't have, you don't have non-members coming from Colorado or Florida up to see the Hill Camaro pageant. Gotcha. And we kind of, so we talked about your, your site director, Elder Canfield. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a character. Tell us about your mission president. You said you guys are friends and, and grew close together. Well, president Pratt. Well, we, ha I had two actually. Okay. Um, president Packham was there at first and he had two teenagers with him. Um, and he was, he was given a release early, um, to deal with some family issues. And so they had to bring in president Pratt. And if I remember right, and I'm sure that I'll get all kinds of, of <laughs> texts from missionaries, that know better, but 
If I remember right, President and Sister Pratt had been called on a mission to England. They were on their way to England and they got tagged, I think, in the MTC um, to, to switch programs and to get a quick training as mission presidents because they were getting change. They were making a change. Wow. Um, so they came out and they were just great. President Pratt was amazing. He loved loved people. He loved the missionaries. I mean, I've never met a mission president that didn't, but he honestly would do anything for the missionaries. If it would benefit them and their spiritual, emotional, mental health, it was, he would, he would do it. What is, are there any lessons that he or sister Pratt or the Packhams taught that you've held on to that you've remembered? <laughs> um, Sister Canfield um, taught me a lot about um, respecting the priesthood authority in your home. Um, she was she was just amazing. Um, Elder Canfield was he was kind of a an in control guy. He just he just barked orders, and she just she just did it. She just whatever needed to be done, she did it. He he was the, the stage manager and she was the tech crew. He said, let's, we're doing this and she's okay, let's get this done. Um, and you know, I'm sure they had their conversations in private where she went, um, that might be ill-advised, <laughs> we never knew it. We never knew it. So if changes were made, it was, you know, it was, she was, it was all, behind all the scenes and stuff. Yeah. She was great. Great support. Um, <laughs> I probably, I probably took them way more for granted than I should have. Um, I learned, I learned how, how to ask for things, <laughs> um, how not to be pushy, but still, still, you know, polite. I don't know. It's, it's Are hard you talking to about explain. like in leadership with yeah. other missionaries and yeah. kind of having high expectations, but not, not like. I don't know. You don't want to, you never want to be overbearing, especially when you're right. in like a leadership position, but you also have to like, there expect. are rules and there are some things that we expect. Some, right. Yeah. I know. President Pratt, President Pratt just, he just served. He just got in there and served. I don't think I ever heard him say an unkind word about anybody. And when you would go in and, you know, vent or complain, and I'm sure that he remembers me doing my share of that. <laughs> he was, he was always there with, you know, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves the people that are causing you problems. You know, your job is to make sure that they know that. So. Wise man. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, tell us about Marcy. Oh, Marcy Levitt. Um, I was put back in um, Geneva serving at the Peter Whitmer farm. Um, for the second time. And I was with Rinda Updike and we got called in to take over teaching this teenage girl from the elders. The elders just weren't getting anywhere. Um, and so we went in to meet with her and I think sister Updike had met with her once before, um, before I got there, but Marcy was 18 and she was attending college and she was a um, comparative religions major. Oh, nice. That's exciting. <laughs> that, that struck some fear yeah. in, in my young missionary heart because I had no idea how I was going to, how you, how you teach around that kind of background. Um, and we went in and met with her. Um, she was actually a member of the church. She had been baptized when she was eight and then her parents divorced um, she was living with her mom and ha didn't have any, hadn't had any contact with the church since. And so she really didn't know anything. She vaguely remembered going to primary, but she just very little. Um, and she, she wasn't quite sure that there was a God, you know, she was, she was comparing all of these religions and hadn't, hadn't really decided that any of them were necessarily had any validity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we, we started this, started our first discussion with her talking about God and she just was kind of, she didn't know if there was a God or, or if it even mattered. And um, 
by the time I don't even remember the discussion. I don't remember the things we taught. Um, I remember there was a good feeling there, but by the end of the discussion, we asked her if she would pray and she accepted. And she gave the sweetest prayer, very simple. She, you know, we, we went through the steps with her before she started. But you could tell that she felt that connection. You know, that, that feeling that you feel when you know that you're a child of God, there's somebody there listening. And to hear her pray for the first time and feel her making that connection was one of the highlights of my entire mission. She was the sweetest thing. And she didn't, she didn't know anybody. We, we took her to church and we introduced her to the first counselor and the bishopric's son. Um, and they now have four boys. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> That's quite the introduction. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is your husband. <laughs> <laughs> She's Marcy Ross and they have four boys and their oldest just, well, not just, I guess a year ago, returned from the Tempe mission. Wow. So the Tempe mission. And they still live back there? Yeah, they still live back in Wow. That's awesome. Did you get to see their oldest? I didn't because I'm a horrible, horrible oh, person. No. <laughs> I meant to. You didn't want to distract him. He was, he, he was, was down, he, he was down in Yuma a, a lot of the time. A, a, a Dan and, and surprise. <laughs> he was down in Yuma a lot of the time. I don't think he got, ever got up here very close. Bless his soul. <laughs> yeah. But, That's awesome. Um, so you, the, my question is, and I'm rewording it cause I was going to ask, what did you learn about the church sites that you didn't know before? But you probably knew a lot, but what did you learn at the church sites? If that makes sense. Like not, not necessarily like this is a fact, but what did, what right. did you learn about yourself and your relationship with Heavenly Father? Um, I learned the scope of the restoration. Um, and I started to get an inkling of that idea that the restoration isn't done. You know, it started there in 1820, but it's still going. It was still going in 1996 when I was there and it's still going now. Um, so the idea of a continuing restoration, um, I learned that, you know, if you, if you go back and you look at the people that, I don't know, call it your spiritual genealogy, you know, people that introduced you to the gospel, you know, you got your parents and, and, uh, you know, youth leaders and the people that, that helps you to learn to feel the spirit, but you go back and you got to go through Joseph. Mm. You know, he's, he's who, through Joseph. I learned more about the savior. Um, and my relationship with him became more real. The more I learned about Joseph's relationship with him. Um, just that he, just that he knows me. And that's, that's something that, that was that I learned again and again and again on my mission. Um, just that, that he knows me, that he knows my name. Um, and that I wasn't there by accident. That's beautiful. That's awesome. What general conference is this week, weekend, right? Saturday, yep. Sunday. What should every member know or you would like them to study about, about the restoration? Um, there's, there's just so much more to the restoration than just the first vision. Um, and yeah, we've been, we've been asked to focus on, focus on the first vision, read the first vision again. Um, but it's figuring out what was, what it was that was actually restored I think is important. Um, it wasn't just that revelation and that connection um, was reestablished, um, but all of those, all of those covenants, we talk about the, the Abrahamic covenant and, and the church as, as Christ established it, it's all coming back. And there's, so, there's just so much more to it than just revelation. Oh. Um, the, 
some of the some of the resources that that I've used. I mentioned the Joseph Smith Papers podcast is awesome. Um, there's a there's a podcast of Joseph, just Joseph Smith, and they just go through some of Truman G. Madsen's lectures on him are on there, along with a bunch of of more recent talks about Joseph Smith, and they're just they're just awesome. I don't know why I forgot I had. When I was preparing for my mission, I got called to the South and I knew that it was the Bible belt uh-huh. and I was scared. And so I started doing deathbed repentance and, and study. <laughs> and I haven't thought about Truman G. Matson, but I listened to his lectures yeah. on Joseph Smith and I love them. And they are so powerful and you get to know his personality uh-huh. and his quirks and that he was a man. And he had a great, he had a great quote Joseph Smith did. He said, a prophet is a prophet when he prophesies. Other than that, he's a man. Yeah. And so like, we got to be humble with Joseph, but, or humble, we got to be patient with him mm-hmm. and forgive him. But man, like he accomplished so much and was such an instrument in, in Heavenly Father's hands and, and bringing about the restoration, just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we look at our own conversions. None of it happened overnight and none of us were touched by the spirit and suddenly became perfect. It's a process. It's yeah. and his whole life was a process. He continued to, to change and progress and fix things and repent from before he had the first vision until Carthage, he was, the, the change was ongoing with him. And I, I think, yeah, we, we need to be patient with him. We have tendency to think that he was supposed to have been perfect as soon as the first vision happened. Yeah. No, I know that's i uh, I've, I've had a lot of friends and family who have brought up things like that, who have had problems with certain things that have happened in the past. And I, I've always said the Lord is, was doing the best he could with what he had. With what he had. You know? And uh, I got a question for you. Okay. And we, we've talked to a lot of other missionaries about their testimony prior to their mission, whether they received their testimony there or, you know, while on the mission or prior, they were kind of leaning on their parents. You have a unique situation where you're at these historic sites your the Hill Camorra is right there. Was there a point in time where you had to understand for yourself if these things were true or did that come prior to your mission or, or how did that play out? My conversion to the gospel has gone in stages from, from the beginning. Um, early on in, in my life, our family went through some things where I gained a testimony early on, <clears throat> excuse me, of eternal families. Um, and that I think is the first thing that I was ever sure of. And then, then you build on it a little bit at a time. And I, I liked church history. I loved, loved hearing about, uh, the first vision and, and Joseph Smith. Um, but yeah, there, there was a point and I, I don't remember which trip it was to the, to the sacred grove. We made a lot of them and it, it was probably a, a progression there too, but yeah, just sitting there and going, this is, this is absolutely where it happened. And yeah, I guess there, there was a time and it probably happened sitting, sitting in the grove by myself. Uh, you can do that a little bit because, you know, you wander in different directions and there's nobody else there. That's so going to be a powerful, still... like, hey, personal study, I'm going to go pray <laughs> yeah. in the sacred grove. Well, I was going to say, what a unique <laughs> opportunity and experience that one, you received that revelation or you received that personal testimony, but two, that you received it where you did. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Well, there were, and just the constant reminders, cause it was, there was a constant reminder all around me all the time. Um, I could see the sacred grove from my kitchen window through probably 80% of my mission. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just having that opportunity to live there and be surrounded by all of that history and feel that spirit just constantly there's just no way to, to experience that and come to any other conclusion than that it happened. Yeah. Reflecting back on your mission from going into the MTC and hating public speaking and being nervous about it to becoming a site leader and, and, you know, helping other and training other missionaries. What, what, what's, what are some things that you learned about yourself that you didn't know day one in the MTC? Um, I had no idea that the Lord could make me enjoy talking in front of people. Um, I learned that there, there is something very real about being set apart 
and given those gifts. And it's once the badge comes off, you know, you're kind of on your own. You can, you've got the muscle memory of those things that kind of can go with you. But I, I'm, I'm a better teacher now than I was then, but I, I don't love it. Like I came to love it there. You know, you kind of lose some of that when the, when the setting apart is over and the badge comes off. Um, you have to keep those things fresh and we have plenty of opportunities in the church to teach lessons and give talks. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I don't feel like I come anywhere near now getting my message across as I did then with the help of that, those blessings and those gifts. Yeah, definitely. A lot of grace is given to missionaries. So much. What, what advice would you give to someone who's just opened up their call and they're going to serve the exact same people that you, that you did? And they might have those same feelings <laughs> same that you had. Oh, I'm going to be a, a temple square sister. Oh, it's awesome. And there's, there's something, you know, there's something special about teaching the gospel to a non-member and bearing your testimony. But when you can share your testimony with another member of the church and help strengthen theirs, it's just as special. It's an amazing experience. And I think my testimony grew more from feeling that exchange of the spirit um, with other members of the church than, than I did teaching discussions and bearing my testimony that way. Um, when, when the spirit is working on both sides and you know that there's a, there's a spiritual connection there, um, and that they're feeding your spirit as you're feeding theirs. That's just something that you, you don't get that from, from teaching a discussion. Yeah. At least not in the same way. I think it's important to talk about how you said conversion is ongoing. You know, so even members of the church who are visiting these historic sites or, or, you know, you're teaching a lesson on Sunday that you have the capacity to be converted, you know, throughout your entire life. Yeah. And so this is what, when I, as I'm hearing you talk about these historic sites and how a lot of the members that you had, or a lot of people that you taught were members, it was a guarantee you that you were part of their conversion process. Yeah. And I think that's, it's so important going forward. And again, if you're a missionary who just received your call or you're getting, uh, you're preparing to go. One of the constant themes that we've always heard and experienced on our missions when we're interviewing people is the importance of those members and, and receiving yeah, and, and helping them understand and remember their conversion and, and strengthening their testimonies. So, yeah, I mean, I think you had a, an excellent opportunity to do that with where you were called to serve. Yeah. Um, another thing I think I'd tell, a sister that was being called to, to sites is that you're going to come up against members that come through and they're going to be like, Oh, we're members. We know the story. We don't need you to tell us we're good. Um, you know, we're in a hurry. We got to do this fast. Um, take it as a challenge and help them feel something because there are those that come and they, they don't think that there's anything that they can learn from these sites. They want to go in the sacred grove and have some quiet time by themselves. And that's great. But if, if they're not, if, if they're not connecting with you and you're not connecting spiritually with them, they're missing that. And that's just as important for them as it is, as the quiet time is. And so try and get those people. And there, there are lots of them. <laughs> try and get those people. I'm cringing because I know I'm one of those people. <laughs> well, what, I, what I'm, what I'm picturing in my mind is somebody who's almost like going to it thinking it's like a museum. Yeah. Right. When yeah, there's so absolutely. much more to get out of it. Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell me about, you know, the, tell me about the artifacts, you know, what if this is original? Um, we as missionaries hate those questions Yeah. because who cares? <laughs> We're here to talk about the story and to feel the spirit, uh -huh. you know, not about which butter churn Mary Whitmer <laughs> used, you know? So. That's awesome though. But which one did she use? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. None of the ones that are there. <laughs> Thanks for, for coming on. I'm reminded of the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants 18, which, which says, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And it doesn't, doesn't matter. It, nowhere in that scripture does it talk about baptizing anyone. It just talks about crying repentance unto this people and helping them come into the kingdom of God. 
a soul is a soul. If you help a less active member, awesome. If you help an active member, even act, like I was active my whole life, but I didn't get a testimony till I was probably 18. Yeah. So everyone that was preaching to me, like, thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah. the missionaries that are doing the same, like, don't, don't discount your testimony or don't think right. that it's not, doesn't have weight or anything like that. You're doing a great work. Absolutely. Definitely. Zach, anything to wrap us up? No. Um, again, I just want to, I, I, I really enjoyed this and hearing your testimony and not only that, but it's exciting me thinking about how in less than five days we have an opportunity to hear from our prophet and how everything, just like how you said, when you receive the priesthood or whatever, you could trace it back and it has to come through Joseph, you know, all of the words and everything that we're going to hear stems from where you served your mission. Well, I mean, it comes from a, a long, right. But you know, the restoration of the church and I'm just, man, I the continuing. Restoration. Yeah. I really enjoyed hearing your, what you had to say about your mission and I could tell it really means a lot to you. Thank you. And uh, I can tell that, I don't know, we've come to that point where even me as a member of the church and doing this podcast that I myself have things that I need to work on and to receive that constant conversion every single day. And, um, no, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Nicole, we appreciate it. Zach, where can they find us? Uh, well, one last thing, Nicole, I know you've kind of bore your testimony throughout this. Do you, oh, yeah. do you want to bear your testimony or would you would be willing to bear your testimony? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I mentioned before that one of the things that I learned from Joseph is that the Lord can make so much more of us than we are. He took this farm boy with no education and made him a prophet. And he can do the same with us. With Christ, we can be so much more than what we are. I'm grateful every day for the grace that he gives me to overcome my faults and to do hard things and to do better tomorrow. And so as much as we talk about, you know, the historical sites and Joseph Smith and all of this, it means nothing without the Savior. He touched that area in upstate New York and made it special, made it a place where thousands can come and feel that spirit. And that only comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so my, my testimony is of him, that he lives. And I, I love April conference when it you know, butts right up against Easter um, because we can talk about the restoration and the resurrection all at the same time. And it's, it's intertwined. It's all linked. Um, and so I, I, it's, it's all good. Everything's good because of him. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 We'll post this on Sunday and look forward, forward to hearing from hearing from yeah, Hopefully you look forward <laughs> to hearing from us next week. Well, hope, not only, I hope you guys listen to this, but uh, listen to a watch conference too. Cause Absolutely. there's a lot of, uh, interested things going on in the world today. And uh, that's the one constant I'm looking forward to general Absolutely. conference. So thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you.